Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Tavi Kowalczuk, and I have a younger brother. I mention this because the book is obviously about siblings today. Uh, my brother and I are both avid readers. He loves comic books and graphic novels, and he's introduced me to the graphic novels of Joe Hill. His series is called Lock and Key. And the thing that's really funny about that is that I know Joe Hill because I work on his novels. So we both have this connection. And a few months ago, before the pandemic, my brother was at a Comic-Con and he met Joe Hill. And, and Joe was like, hey, tell your sis I said hello. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm Eliza Rosenberry and I have one younger sister. Um, and she actually works in a bookstore up in Maine where she lives. And so we're always trading recommendations for new books. A couple of weeks ago during the pandemic, um, she mailed me a birthday gift and she got me a copy of the new book, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse, I think is what it's called. It's an illustrated book. Um, it's very inspirational and, and really sweet. That is so lovely. I'm, I always wanted to work in a bookstore. I'm so jealous of your sister. It's a super cute bookstore, too. It's called The Owl and the Turtle in Camden, Maine. So many animals. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, the lives of three sisters are disrupted after the death of their father, a best-selling author. When the Sweeney sisters meet at their childhood home in Southport, Connecticut for their father's funeral, they discover an uninvited stranger at his wake. The Sweeney sisters is a hilarious and heartfelt story of sisterhood and the surprises we discover in our DNA. Los Angeles Times bestselling author Leanne Dolan joins us from home in California to answer questions about her new novel. Now that it is officially summer after Memorial Day, Tavia and I wanted to start off this week's episode by giving some of our favorite summer reading recommendations for this year. Two of the books that I want to recommend for this summer are by Lucy Foley. She's a British author and she writes these really great sort of modern Agatha Christie type mysteries. They're like locked room mysteries, sort of. So the, her, um, the first one is called The Hunting Party, which takes place over a New Year's Eve um, getaway with a group of old friends at this sort of remote hunting lodge in the Scottish Highlands. And obviously something goes terribly wrong. And her new book, which comes out in June, is called The Guest List. And it's set at a wedding um, which is going to be super fun. This is, you know, normally this would be peak wedding season. Um, so it was really fun to sort of get away to this. It's set also in a, another remote, it's on a, I think it's on an island, a remote Irish island. Very, very spooky. That sounds amazing. I've heard so much about Lucy Foley and I haven't had the chance to read her. I definitely have to check her out this summer. Um, I have to go back to one of the first guests that we ever had on our podcast, Beatrice Williams. Yay. I love her. She writes a book every year and every year I'm so excited. So I can't wait till her last flight is here to read. It's about this female pilot in the early 1900s who at sort of the dawn of the sort of golden age of flight. And she is loosely based off of Amelia Earhart. So the story moves back and forth through time and it's just classic Beatrice Williams. There's two really strong female characters there's sort of um, hidden information that they need to each either reveal or uncover. And once again, it's just written Beatrice's 
beautiful, beautiful prose. We love Beatrice on this podcast. I can't wait to read the new one. Next, next book that I want to recommend is another person who's been on our podcast. <laughs> Clearly, I lobby to interview the authors I love. But it's Empire of Gold by S.A. Chakraborty. You'll remember that we interviewed her for City of Brass, which is the first book of the trilogy, of the Devabad trilogy. And Empire of Gold is the culmination of the story. So I haven't read it yet, and I am so excited. I cannot wait to get my hands on that hardcover and hunker down and just read and read and read till I finish. I loved City of Brass. It was such a, such a unique book and I really really loved our conversation with S.A. Chakraborty so um, I I still haven't read the second book in the series so I'm behind I need to I need to get through these so I can read the read the finale with everybody else this summer I won't bug you this weekend Eliza I'll let you read (laughs) Kingdom of Copper yeah I have so much reading to do and then I want to wrap up with a book by just like a mega author she is so famous and I know she has a ton of fans out there The Silent Wife by Karen Slaughter. This is a new Mm. book in the Will Trent series. So he's a GBI investigator and um, he's always investigating some awful, awful, horrendous murder. And um, in this one, it's, you know, it's set in Atlanta, Georgia again. And in this one, he actually has to um, go back and talk to a prisoner and try and get information from this prisoner, um, who, of course, is an unreliable source. So you know, if you love Karen Slaughter, if you love um, super, super intense suspense and like a real thriller of a read, you can, do not miss The Silent Wife. Awesome. Such good recommendations. I am I have so many books to read this summer. I know. Now I feel like I have to stop podcasting and start reading more. <laughs> you can do both, Tamia. You can have it all. Thank you for your faith in me. <laughs> <laughs> And now we present to you the Sweeney Sisters Abridged. The three Sweeney Sisters, Liza, Maggie, and Trisha, are called back to the family home in Southport, Connecticut, when their father suddenly passes away. The sisters had spent many happy and eventful years with their parents in their old New England house before their beloved poet mother passed away a few years earlier, but they've since spread out. Liza, the oldest, bought a historic house nearby with her successful husband, Maggie, the free-spirited artist, spent some difficult years in Los Angeles before accepting an artist residency a few hours away, and Trisha, the -the by-the-book youngest daughter, is a successful corporate lawyer in New York. To complicate the sisters' loss, Bill Sweeney wasn't just their father. He was also a famous great American novelist, and he has an unpublished memoir hidden somewhere in the house. As soon as news of his death is released to the public, His publisher, literary agent, and many, many readers will try to get their hands on the famous author's true life story. At the reading of Bill Sweeney's will, his daughters are shocked to discover the results of an online DNA test. There's actually a fourth Sweeney sister. It seems Bill Sweeney had been unfaithful to his wife early in their marriage, and the neighbor girl next door, Serena, is actually their half-sister, and she's back in town. The Sweeney sisters must come to terms with how this shocking revelation changes their perception of their father, their parents' marriage, their childhood, and what the future of the Sweeney family will be. So, Tavia, what did you think of this book? I loved it. I think it is the perfect social distancing read. It is. <laughs> it just makes you feel so good. It, you know, they go through some difficult times. The father dies. You know, they discover this sister in their family that they didn't know they had. Again, there's like all these secrets that people are revealing. 
But at the end, like, it just feels, you feel like things are right in the world, even though they aren't perfect. And there's funny moments and there's sweet moments and there's some kind of, there's a little love story. Um, I just think that it is the perfect book to read if you need an escape. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I hadn't really reflected on the ending of the book and we're not going to spoil anything, but I do agree that you, you walk away from the Sweeney sisters with a sense of not like relief, but just sort of like everything in its place. You know, it's, it's a very satisfying book and a very satisfying read. And it felt good to read something like that right now, for sure. Absolutely. Another part of it that is so interesting to me, and if I if we were talking about this with like more people, I would love to take a poll, but <laughs> and maybe we will on social media, but like, would you or would you not get your DNA tested? To me, that was like the whole book hung on this idea. And I'm like, no way, no way. I would not get my DNA tested. A few Christmases ago, I think my aunt and uncle gave DNA tests like as a gift. which is exactly what happens in the book, right? Serena gets, or she wins it in a raffle, right? Um, The online DNA test. And my dad got one and I think he was, I think he was considering it. And then I think he, he declined. So I think it's sitting around my, my dad's house somewhere unused. But yeah, it's definitely like, I mean, it's a bag of worms, you know, or wait, not a bag, (laughs) can of worms. Worms don't come in a bag. (laughs) Um, what, one of the things that I loved about this book, of course, was the sister dynamics. Um, there's obviously three sisters and they're all very different. I love how they all have their own, you know, things going on, their own careers, their own, you know, relationships, but they also play off of each other in a way that I really love. Um, and it's, it's always fun. You know, I mean, we talked about this when we read The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin, how fun it is to watch those sibling dynamics evolve in a novel. I felt the same way here. Me too. I really liked that. And I thought the author handled it so well. And I can't wait to ask her if she, you know, she took details from her own sisters. She has a bunch of sisters. But one of the things that she does with the Sweeney sisters is like she creates them as this um, sort of hermetic trio and they present themselves to the outside world as you know just sisters who are like all sparkle and dash and they get along so well and they're so much fun and then um when you're brought inside the family unit you realize that there are cracks and divisive issues and resentments and um I I like the way she really she really you we could see them from inside and outside yeah, absolutely. Eliza, usually we toast at this point in the podcast. I wish you were here. Here's a virtual toast. I know, virtual toast. Clink. <laughs> Clink. <laughs> <laughs> Quick reminder, we love hearing from you. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can talk with other book lovers and pose your own questions to the authors who appear on our show. You can find us at bookclubgirl.com slash groups slash the book club girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the Sweeney Sisters audiobook. Today, we're joined by Leanne Dolan, whose book, The Sweeney Sisters, is out now. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, Leanne. We're so glad that you're here. I have to say, you are our first fellow podcaster on the show, and we are really excited about that. 
are the stakes higher? Do you feel them? Do you feel them higher? <laughs> oh, definitely pressure to perform on our end, for sure. <laughs> Listen, I love what you guys are doing. Isn't podcasting fun? It's a lot of fun just to have the venue to come and express your opinions and connect with audiences and, and really do your thing, whether it's in a closet or in a studio. It's just an, it's an incredible technology. And I just love the fact that more women's voices can get out there, however they're getting out there, talking about whatever they want to talk about. There's no gatekeeper anymore. Just go for it. We couldn't agree more. And in fact, that leads me right into my first question for you, which is, how did your experience in podcasting with your own sisters, with your Satellite Sisters podcast, help shape the Sweeney Sisters? I don't think I could have written the Sweeney Sisters if I hadn't spent 20 years as a Satellite Sister. Um, one of the things doing Satellite Sisters has informed me is that people love sisters. They're very curious about the sister relationship. Either they have sisters and they see themselves in us, or they don't have sisters and they've always wondered what that was like. And so as a result, we've ended up talking a lot on the show about what it means to be a sister, what birth order uh, you know, means for your life, how to interact with your siblings, what's happening if you're not getting along with your sister or your brother. You know, We've talked a lot over 20 years about family dynamics. And it kind of acts as a, you know, as a little focus group for me as a writer on how to take what people are interested in in the relationship and then fictionalize it. So 100 percent, just the idea and the information I had came from doing the podcast. Leanne, one of the pieces of the of the sister dynamic in the book, the three and then four sisters, that they're so carefully characterized and presented and the reader can see not only what their dynamic is now, but also how they grew up in response to each other and to their parents. And even what you just said about having braces when you're 13, like that, those, that level of detail sort of, you know, it helps you really see like, oh, the different ways that someone might respond to something traumatic happening at Thanksgiving with their braces when they're 13. Um, and so I'm curious, how did you approach creating the dynamic with the idea that that they've been together all these years and that they've been shaped by all these different things over time. You know, I think that's just a realization, uh, my point of view, that that's what happens in families. I have four real sisters and I have three brothers. So I'm from a big family. <laughs> so uh, where it was easy to go kind of really decades without seeing a sibling. And I, I don't say that jokingly, but I'm the youngest in the family. So when by the time I was cognizant, my brothers were already off of college, you know, so I didn't really get to know them till I was 20. And I had this whole life growing up and they had this whole life. And we had family jokes and we had, you know, scenes that we replayed over and over again, things that always made us laugh. Uh, but we had a very dynamic relationship that was changing and growing over the years. But the one thing we all shared, even though we went off in different directions and there was a big age gap and people had different careers, was was that we had a family dinner table. We had those together times and those experiences that we shared there shaped who we are growing, who we are now in the world, you know. Uh, and so I just wanted to capture that in a real way. Like your childhood is never very far behind you. And it's 
we've often said at Satellite Sisters, it's like it's really up to your older brothers and sisters to keep you down. You know, they're the ones that keep you humble. You, you can't really go too far away or get too big ahead when they're there to remind you of all the terrible things you did, you did or the stupid things. So there's a certain humility to that uh, that I wanted to impart, even though I think the sisters themselves, uh, the Sweeney sisters, have a lot of swagger. Like they're happy to be Sweeney's. Like they know that that's a big part of their identity, but they also went off and, and created their own individual identities. Um, speaking of individual identities, Bertie Tucker, their next door neighbor, is a real battle axe. And yet by the end of the novel, as readers, we understand a bit more about her humanity. I personally love to hate this character as I was reading the book. And so I kind of want to ask you, why didn't you just keep her as a bad guy? You know, because I think older women never get their due. You know, they had lives before they had children and before they became mothers. And, you know, particularly the women uh, in their 60s and 70s now, so older, a generation older than me, like they lived through some really interesting dynamic times before they might have settled down to what looks to us to be fairly mundane suburban lives. So you just reminded me, I totally get what you're saying. So I remember the first time, I think I was probably in my teens, when my mom, you know, told a story about a date she went on with someone who wasn't my dad before she and my dad got married. And I was shocked. I was like, what? <laughs> you dated my dad since you were 15. It was uh, it was quite an eye opener. <laughs> Tavia and I had read and talked about this novel called Secret Daughter a few episodes ago on the podcast. And that book is about a family who adopts their daughter and how that affected their family dynamic. And so when we were talking about that book, we talked a lot about what makes a parent-child relationship, um, including, you know, birth parents and adoptive parents. And that comes up in this novel, too. Um, where Serena is wondering maybe if she got her passion for writing from her biological father. Um, anyway, and so I was curious, how did you want to explore the, the role and influence of parents in the Sweeney sisters? That's a good question. You guys ask really thoughtful questions. I have to think hard about the answers here. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I believe a couple of things. I believe your parents are really important. I believe where you grow up is important. I, I believe your family of origin is super important. But I also believe that at some point as an adult, you're making your own decisions and you're forging your own identity. And you can choose to embrace where you came from. Or if you need to do so, you can reject it. I don't think family is destiny. I think you have some options there. That being said, I really uh, took a look pretty hard, particularly for in Serena's case. Um, I talked to a bunch of my friends who have been adopted. And I really took, you know, their lives as sort of a, a way to shape Serena's character, um, that maybe there's something to your birth parents and there are sort of, I believe, the creative genes or mathematical genes or artistic genes might run through your gene, your, you know, your DNA. But I also think whoever raised you has a tremendous effect on who you are. But then at some point, you as an adult can choose, you know, which one of those... <laughs> which one of those heritages you're going to embrace. And maybe it's both, and maybe it's neither, and maybe it's one. Maybe one wins out over the other. So, you know, I think about parents as important and foundational, but not destiny. Mm. So interesting. I was fascinated by Trisha, the youngest sibling. 
she's an overachieving lawyer, an athlete, and, you know, sort of towards the beginning of the book, she takes a leave of absence from her job to help oversee her father's estate. And, you know, I found that to be an interesting move on her part because she seemed so reluctant to do it and and which really fit with her personality. What for when you were writing, what did you see as the final straw that switched Trisha's perspective from sort of being the teacher's pet to maybe looking for a second act? <laughs> um, I think um, for Trisha, I I have a very soft spot in my heart for Trisha because she's the youngest sibling, and I feel like we often get the short shrift in literature and in television. We're <laughs> we're seen as sort of you know, obnoxious or difficult or babied. And I feel like, hey, we're our own people. No one was paying attention when we were growing up, but we've done a good job with ourselves since then. I have definitely found in particularly my working relationship with my sisters, I act as the producer of our show and the, uh, you know, executive editor of all of our writing projects. So I have also been in the bossy role, which is just a secret joy. Bossing your older sisters around (laughs) is fantastic. Uh, So stay strong, younger sisters siblings out there. So I wanted Trisha to have that personality. Like she took a look at the situation after her father died. She did not trust her sisters to execute (laughs) in the best interests of her father, of the estate, of his literary legacy. Like she knew professionally she had to step in there. One other element in the book that sort of bonds the, the sisters together is, of course, the loss of the loss of their parents. First, their mother years earlier, um, who had passed away from cancer after being ill for a while, and then they're wrestling with the new and um, more surprising or unexpected loss of their father, who's this larger-than-life figure. Um, how how do you how did the sisters work together through their grief this time? And do you think it was a different kind of loss for them than when they lost their mother when they were younger? Everybody experiences grief so differently. And uh, and there's no timeline for it, and there's no right way, and there's no wrong way, and that um, you can think you're absolutely fine, and then you'll be in a grocery store, and you'll see something that reminds you of your mother, and you'll just lose it, and that can be years after her death. So I I've, I understand why people write about grief so much and struggle with it and talk about it, and there's so many plays and books and movies about grief because it's so powerful and it's hard to know. So when I thought of the Sweeney sisters, you know, they lost their mom when they were relatively young, uh, early 20s and teenagers, and um you would just be ill-prepared. Like, I I was ill-prepared, and I was, you know, 40, in my 40s when my parents died. So what I've come to appreciate is how difficult that must be to lose one of your parents when you're young. Whereas I feel like with the death of their father, now they're in their 30s, there's a more mature uh, ability to process what that means. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Leanne Dolan, whose book... The Sweeney Sisters is out now. You can read more about Leanne's book at bookclubgirl.com slash podcast. And coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Leanne answers more questions. And later in the show, we ask her about her literary white whale. Stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by The Silent Treatment by Abby Graves a stunning debut novel about lies, loss, and a love that is louder than words. The Silent Treatment will appeal to fans of David Nichols and Jojo Moyes. It's available now wherever books are sold.
Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Leon Dolan, author of the new novel, The Sweeney Sisters. We have one more question for you, Leon. Each episode, we ask an author, what is your literary white whale? It's a book that you've either always meant to read or one you started reading and never finished. So, Leon, what is your literary white whale? Mm, I think I'm pushing the definition a little bit here. But I will say this. I will say uh, The Corrections by Jonathan Franson because I was I had bought the book and I was going to read it because Oprah told me to buy the book and read it. And then when he dissed Oprah, <laughs> I was out. <laughs> I was off the Jonathan Franson bandwagon. I never read that book and I don't read anything Jonathan Franson writes. Does that count as a white whale? <laughs> is that is that allowed? <laughs> I love it. It's a white whale that you've let go. I've let it go. <laughs> exactly. I'm not, yeah, I don't feel bad about it at all. I, there's no literary guilt over that. None. Good for you. I admire that. Leanne, I'm curious. I was just going to say that seems like the kind of book that Bill Sweeney might have written. I was curious. What did you envision Bill Sweeney? How did you envision him in like the literary landscape? Like, who is he like to you? What other authors? I thought of him really as a John Irving meets John Cheever, you know, yeah. sort of the the, the writing talent of John Irving and kind of the sexiness and the super masculine. And, you know, John Irving was really a rock star. And I, I love that idea that writers used to be rock stars, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Like, you know, they had paparazzi following them and they could get into any restaurant and stuff like that. Um, but obviously, Bill Sweeney had a lot of demons. And so that was more like John Cheever. It's so funny you say that about male authors getting away with a lot of stuff, because that was one of the things we were talking about in our book club of two before um, you came on the show. And uh, yeah, we were we were we saw a little bit of a double standard there. Yeah, I mean, for sure. There there definitely was. There's no doubt. Well, Leon, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We loved having you. We loved reading your book and uh, we'd love to have you back. Anytime. I'm I'm very happy to be here. I'm so proud of you for jumping into the podcast pool. That was Leanne Dolan, whose book, The Sweeney Sisters, is out now. To find out more about Leanne's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a rating and leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast is to tell a friend. It really helps other people to find us. You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with New York Times bestselling author Susan Wiggs about her novel, The Oysterville Sewing Circle. But you can always stay in touch with us in between episodes. We're both on Instagram. Find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading. And of course, at Book Club Girl. You can join in on these conversations too. We will be interviewing Beverly Jenkins, author of On the Corner of Hope and Maine, in a few weeks. And if you have questions for Beverly, post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group or give us a call at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We really, really love to hear from you. And if your question gets asked on the show, we will send you a free book. A free book. A free book. A free book. I, I, you know, every I say this every episode. I want the free book. Seriously. Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Gosperay, who produced today's episode. To Leon for setting up her own recording studio in her house. And to all of you, our faithful listeners. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading. About two hours into the hunt for the manuscript, 
Liza, Maggie, and Trisha figured out that all the sisters searching in one small space was not going to work. The three of them bossing each other around in the boathouse had produced only the password to Bill Sweeney's computer. Sunkissed 1147, the boat's name, plus the Willow Lane house numbers. Trisha had spent several hours searching the hard drive with Liza looking over her shoulder, an arrangement that wasn't sustainable for either of them. Trisha was searching systematically by keywords and wondering how a guy whose computer security system could be compromised by a post-it with his password stuck to the side of the monitor could possibly have gotten rid of all digital traces of the memoir. Liza felt that reorganizing the file system on the computer would be a better place to start then with what she called completely random word searches that her lawyer sister was insisting upon. Maggie, as per usual, was sitting on the couch thumbing through old magazines and texting somebody with frequency and delight, piping up every few minutes with, need anything? Or, let me know what I can do. When they were growing up, the only time Maggie showed leadership or initiative in a family project was if it involved boys or shopping for clothes. Otherwise, she focused on what worked for Maggie. Once they realized that the manuscript hunt wouldn't be as easy as logging on and printing it out, it took them about 10 minutes to devise a plan of separate but equal distribution of work, at least on paper. Trisha would take the boathouse and its contents, including boxes and boxes of old papers that might be the perfect hiding spot for a mystery manuscript. Maggie would take the library and conservatory to do a backup manuscript search and gather any additional documents that might have migrated inside and should be included with the rest of the papers. And Liza would get the house ready to sell by cleaning out closets, drawers, and entire rooms that hadn't been touched in years, packing or donating everything in sight. I wish Julia was here. I bet she knows where the damn book is, Trisha said. The sisters had shared a tearful goodbye with the housekeeper. She was thrilled with the money. Clearly, she believed she had earned it, but was also grateful that Mr. Bill had come through in the end. Her plan was to sock most of the sudden windfall into a retirement account, like Liza suggested, but splurge a little and spend the summer back in San Juan with her own family, including her aging parents. In the fall, she'd return to her tidy little house in Bridgeport and find a new family to care for. But she had told the sisters she would help pack up Willow Lane before leaving for Puerto Rico. I can't let you girls do this all on your own. Absolutely not. You've already done too much for our family, Liza had insisted. Go be with your own family and enjoy the summer. They were missing Julia now, though. Trisha was right. She might know exactly where the manuscript was stashed. I'll text her and ask, Liza offered. Julia responded immediately with the word, no, followed by a string of question marks. We're on our own. So we're all settled then. Everyone knows what they need to do? Maggie? Maggie looked up from her phone. Yeah, all good. Do we have enough boxes? Should I run out and get packing stuff at U-Haul? Liza and Trisha practically did a double take at Maggie's pragmatism and offer of aid. What? Come on, give me some credit. Knock yourself out, Liza said. Go get some boxes, but not the huge ones. We need to be able to lift them. Most of this stuff is either going to Goodwill or the dump, except the papers, which are all going to Yale. And some of the personal stuff, we can divvy that up later. No tagging any artwork until I get back, Maggie said, half joking. 
She didn't think her sisters would hide pieces from her, but she wasn't 100% sure.